You probably think most TV movies are your scandalous ripped from the headlines or revenge of the ex-wife fair. Dramas, legal thrillers, whodunit mysteries. Sure, these take up a lot of space in TV movie history. But are there any that tickle the funny bone? Actually, I don't let just anybody tickle my funny bone. <laughs> and not on the first date. <laughs> I left my funny bone in the operation game. <laughs> well, we've got you covered. From capers, comedy to kitsch, we'll be talking about some TV movies that tried to make us laugh by serving up some kooky fun. Carol Burnett moving to suburbia and dealing with nutty neighbors. Judith Light singing in a bowling alley. David Hasselhoff pretending to be gay. Well, we're in for a treat as we look at some 70s and 80s network TV movie comedy gold. Mike, are you ready to laugh? Well, my funny bone says it's ready for a chuckle or a guffaw. My funny bone says six more weeks of winter. <laughs> <laughs> or arthritis. I, one of the two. <laughs> well, funny bones aching or not, let's begin. Welcome to the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop topic and trash talk it. But with love, of course. Ooh, and love? Love can move mountains, Celine Dion. <laughs> well, we've got a mountain of TV movies to watch and talk about. Ooh, a Mount, a Mount Everest of TV movies. What is peak TV movie? We're going to find out. peak TV movie. I guess we'll run into a few cliff hangers. <laughs> Let's get into it. All right. So we have a whole season focused on TV movies. And I guess we should probably start out by just saying, Eric, to you, what is a TV movie? It's a TV and a movie when they get together and they love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> I think a TV movie is um, low budget, lower budget, I would say, uh, compared Than to an actual a theatrical. It's an actual movie. Hey, hold on here. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, sorry. <laughs> um, something that wasn't released in theaters. It went straight to TV. Mainly, we want to talk about ones that were broadcast on the major three networks. So in your mind, a TV movie is a movie that didn't release itself in the theaters or get released in the theater. <laughs> release, it, it didn't release itself. <laughs> oh. You're the worst. Uh, so in your mind, a TV movie is a movie that didn't get released in theaters, but just kind of aired on television, more or less. Yeah, it's kind of seen as lower tier, but big actors were involved, you know, maybe not as well known as blockbusters that were in the theater, but tons of people, millions of people watched these movies. They were, you know, movies conceptualized by the networks to try and get people to stay home with their on their couch instead of going out to like the Cineplex or the drive-in. To me, that's kind of what a TV movie is. And you're right that for the most part, they were fixtures of the three big networks because networks needed a lot of mm -hmm. content. And as the 70s came and 80s came and 90s came and you started to have to fill up a lot more programming, they became the type of thing that was easy to produce, quick to produce. You had a ready set like batch mm -hmm. of stars to star in yeah. them. Uh, and so you were able to kind of produce them quickly. And so I think we just got a volume of them through the years that make them sort of hard to track. There are so many that are lost to history. Theatrical releases finally caught up to home video, home viewing, and started releasing things on VHS and DVD and like building your library. But 
in the nascent years of VHS, you can find a lot of TV movies because they probably had less rights hoops to jump through. Video rental stores were looking for content that people could rent. So there are a lot of TV movies that made it to VHS, but did not make the jump to DVD, I'm finding. When I kind of look up like, where can I watch this? Is it on streaming? Is there a physical copy? I find a lot on VHS and it's like aftermarket eBay, who whoever owns this VHS of this TV movie, but it did didn't really have the legs to continue as like, oh, something I'm going to rewatch. Pretty much if you missed it on TV that week, you didn't see that movie again. So my last question for you before we dig into some actual TV movies, why are so few of them funny? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that because like you're, you know, we said this in the intro, so many of them are about like rip from the headlines, right? You're murdering uh-huh. neighborhood cheerleader or your, right. your ex-wife who burns down the house, but so few are actually rooted in comedy. And I'm wondering why. Is it because they tended to air like in the nine o'clock time slot and it was those sitcoms, (laughs) (laughs) the sitcom came at eight o'clock, you put the kids to bed and you watch, you know, your Danielle Steele TV movie, right? Yeah, I think that's possible. I think it's also the case that like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's harder to act comedy than it is to act drama or rip from the headline sort of stuff. And so... Mm the type of actors that you would get for these, I don't think are all like comedically trained in order to pull off a good comedy. Well, for our first TV movie comedy, it is 1978's The Grass is Always Greener over the septic tank. That's true. It's very true. <laughs> well, this is a TV movie that stars two actual heavy hitters in television and movies from the 20th century. We've got Carol Burnett and we've got Charles Grodin. Mm, I love them both. Charles Grodin. <laughs> I know him as Nicky, the jewel thief in The Great Muppet Caper. And for his flamboyant personality. Uh-huh. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. He's got the most oh. dry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're getting with him. And that's what I appreciate, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's such a brilliant idea to pair him with Carol Burnett, who in 1978 was kind of coming off of mm-hmm. years of dominant pop culture success with the Carol Burnett show. And I think this was one of her first sort of acting gigs after that show kind of ran mm-hmm. its course. So she was moving from variety show, like, superpower to actress it is a super simple plot but i think it actually is you know works it is carol burnett and charles groden are a married couple they have three kids they live in the city in new york city charles groden's character gets mugged one day and they decide you know what i've had it with the city let's move to the suburbs and see what adventure awaits and we have to mention that it's based on an Irma Bombeck book. Oh, I know. The same name. And it was like a bestseller. It was a hit with all the moms. Everybody read this book. So interesting that it's making the jump to the screen here. I love that. I actually love Irma Bombeck. My favorite Irma Bombeck story, separate from this TV movie, is that in the mid-1980s, she was actually arranged to go on a date with Morris the Cat to a production <laughs> of the musical Cats. What? I'm dead serious. How? Oh my God, that's amazing. Brilliant is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where's the TV movie about that night? Exactly. I would watch it. I would definitely watch it. I would spend all my nine lives to watch that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And have a fancy feast for dinner. Oh! oh. <laughs> nine live seafood platter. Anchors away. Hmm. 
you know, her books were like chicken soup for the soul. They were like, isn't this so funny? And oh, I'm just like Carol down the street. Yeah, I feel like every title of her book is some like, you know, this is not a real title, but it's always something like, well, the phone cord was too long and that's how I ended up a successful woman. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. It's like they're just random words that are like a long sentence. <laughs> yeah, basically, because Carol's a writer in this and you know it's based, she's basically Irma Bombeck writing yes, exactly. the story and her stories of her yeah. life. For me, watching it now in middle age was very interesting going back and being the age that Carol Burnett probably was. They were, and so I, I looked this mm -hmm. up actually. Charles Grodin was 43, which is my age now. Mm -hmm. And Carol Burnett was actually 45. So just a hair younger than you. Right. And so it was like thinking about what our parents felt at that time. And these were the struggles or the things of daily life. Obviously, they loved watching that. But now me not having children and a family and moving to the suburbs aside is like, wow, a different perspective on that that I had growing up as a kid that this looked like my life. But at this age now, it was just a mind bender. And no. that made it fun. I totally agree. Like it felt like I was watching a bit of our parents on television. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the the way this one works. I couldn't believe how stuck in this 1970s it was. I love that. It is mm -hmm. such a good, I don't know, like a, a savory taste of what late 1970s mm -hmm. suburbia life was like in the US, I think. I thought they nailed that. So they live now in a suburban neighborhood and they get kind of roped into going to suburban house parties. And some of the cast of characters there are hilarious. There's like the gay guy making everybody celery juice. Which means <laughs> the real character I love is the, the woman who clutches her pearls and goes, have you have you seen what the neighbor, the, the high school kids at mm -hmm. the neighborhood high school are dressing as? Yeah. And then one of the dads goes, well, it's tummies today and tushies tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Gray from Dallas is in this. This is the other thing. So it's not just Carol Burnett and Charles Grodin, although they are the main mm -hmm. characters, there are some other folks. So Alex Rocco, Linda Gray, one of their children, one of Carol Burnett's and Charles Grodin's children mm -hmm. is a childhood Eric Stoltz, who, mm -hmm. you know, people know from like Pulp Fiction or a bunch of other Mask. 90s movies. Mask, exactly, or all the <laughs> 80s movies. Yeah, it's fun to see child actors who pop up in these TV movies who became like well-known actors later. Oh, that's the best part, I think, about rewatching all of this is just seeing that, which is yeah. so, so good. The things I love, that giant station wagon she gets. Oh, my god! second car. Carol Burnett yes. is a, a housewife in the suburbs now after they move out of the city. And she she wants a car because mm -hmm. she's stuck at home. And so she gets <laughs> this honking station wagon that is bigger than my apartment. She just wanted like a little Ford Fiesta to zip around to, to get around so she didn't have to run errands on her bike. and. Charles Grodin, her husband, buys her a grocery getter so that she can haul his lawn fertilizer. He's all about just fertilizing this lawn, growing his lawn. Yeah. It's, it's what the only thing that gives this man pleasure right now <laughs> is being able to fertilize his lawn. And no, that's not a metaphor. <laughs> and no. Carol is doing it all. She leaves the house to go to her writing class. Because I've got a hot flash for every one of you. This hired hand is resigning. Now, I am going to that class for two lovely hours. And I'm sure you'll all starve to death before I get back because none of you will be able to figure out how to open up the refrigerator. And if you want to save more money, why don't you try buying a little less manure? 
those are words that came out of my mother's mouth. I know my mother too. <laughs> yes. That's one thing I will say about this movie. I didn't love, which is that for the first hour, it's really a funny, witty mm -hmm. comedy about the, you know, fish out of water, city people trying to make it in suburbia. Mm -hmm. And then it gets real dark for a bit, yeah. right? Like Carol Burnett and Charles Grodin start having marital problems. He's sleeping at the office, working too much. She's unsatisfied and is feeling her dreams slipping away. Mm -hmm. And it gets real bleak. And probably this movie could not be written today because it definitely mm -hmm. has some sexist undertones of like oh, for sure. the it's woman like, needing to like bow to the husband a little bit. The roles, the gendered roles of who's the housekeeper and who's the breadwinner. Yeah, there, there's that. It, you, it's unavoidable in this era. But I will say there was a moment in this where I thought it was going to end in one type of way. And then I was like, every mom just turned the TV off. They were like, nope, I cannot believe this is going to end with her kind of giving up on her dreams. But that is not how it ends. It all, all becomes well in suburbia again. Yes, there is sort of a little bit of a like, let's tie a nice ribbon on this and make sure there's a happy ending. And now we're moving on to David Hasselhoff pretending to be gay just so he can get closer to Joan Collins. It, it adds for a whole lot of fun. It really does. That takes us to the second TV movie today, The Cartier Affair. Eric, give us your plot summary. What was The Cartier Affair? It's very complex. I don't know if I can do it briefly, but I'll try. <laughs> David Hasselhoff is just getting released from prison for some small time okay. offenses. And he owes a lot of money to the mob boss who's still in prison, played by Telly Savalas, who probably just wandered over from the Kojak set. And he goes to a temp agency that's kind of in the bag for the, the mob or whatever organization that Telly Savalas runs. And they place him as a secretary. It's not an administrative assistant. This the 80s as a male secretary for Joan Collins, who is a soap star. I think her soap that she's on is called Stormwatch. <laughs> it sure is. And not on the Weather Channel. <laughs> exactly. He also, I think he has to steal her jewels for Telly Savalas to pay off his debt. And to get the job, he has to pretend he's gay. The character of Kurt has to play gay to get inside Cartier Rand's house to get her security system, because all the other guys that have gotten inside her house, she plays a male, her male secretary, have hit on her. So she said, I won't hire anybody unless he's gay. And of course, if you're gay, you can be close to a woman in that way. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's how I got my first three jobs. <laughs> well, this fits into our capers of the capers comedy and kitsch. Mm -hmm. And the reason we say it's a caper is because it's kind of like, yes, there are mobsters, David Hasselhoff and Joan Collins, essentially, you know, after she discovers he's not gay and they can, you know, realize their love for each other, <laughs> they go on the, the run. Everyone is chasing after them uh, yeah, as they, they drive through the desert of Texas, New Mexico. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, they end up at. in Mexico. Um, yeah. I forget why it's that memorable, <laughs> but it has its charm. I have to say there were... Um, there were great moments in it. She's got some amazing 80s makeup. But I swear there are scenes, there are tight close-ups where the Hoff has more eyeshadow on than Joan. And it oh, just melts sure. my heart. The second prettiest was Joan Collins. I mean, she's she's gorgeous, isn't she? 
We hit it off great, you know. A lot of rumors come with Joan Collins, you know. I have an inquiring mind, you know. I read the star. And we fell in deep like right away. We had a ball. <laughs> <laughs> I think they spend the night in a motel, like whatever the Motel 6 version is. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I love that. The idea that Joan Collins is spending a night in a Motel 6 <laughs> really made me laugh. And it had oh those like zany elements too, like the horny maid. She's serving like soup or serving dinner or whatever. And she has a note in her cleavage that when she sets the soup down, it opens up and says, hi. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i do every time i go to a panera yeah i just i, I get <laughs> i get the bread bowl with you some broccoli and cheese for somebody i lean over set it on the table with a note that falls out of my cleavage that just says hi, hi. <laughs> it's a great icebreaker i tell you <laughs> conversation starter <laughs> When this aired, it aired in November of 1984 and it aired on a Sunday night and it was part of like a David Hasselhoff power hour where it's like Knight Rider, which was his big show. And he was like, at the, I think, at the peak of his fame or very mm -hmm. close to the peak of his fame. Actually, maybe that's not fair because he Baywatch he, rising yeah, star. I, I would say he, yes. he was on the rise. Yes, certainly on the rise. Mm -hmm. And so for him to be in a Sunday night movie, I think was a draw for audiences. Mm -hmm. Joan Collins, of course, you get these two together. And I believe this was like the second most watched program that night behind 60 Minutes, which inexplicably is always the most watched program and has been for like the last, <laughs> I don't know, when was television invented? I That's when 60 Minutes started. <laughs> Well, the other thing that I find funny about this is you hear the name of the TV movie, The Cartier Affair, and you mm -hmm. think, oh, it's about Cartier Diamonds. Right. It has absolutely nothing to do. With, I mean, there are jewels involved, but exactly. that's like tangential to the entire story. <laughs> yeah, her name is Cartier. So that's where it comes yes. from. But it's very confusing. It made me wonder why they Weird picked choice. that name. It's just like the, I don't know, it'd be like naming her Sarah Lee or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? Well, maybe it is. it worked as intended because we were both confused and expecting or expecting a jewel heist and Cartier jewel. So good on them. They tricked us. And the people who tricked us, let me say, you know how I love my scarecrow and Mrs. King. The writers of this TV movie are Brad Buckner and Eugenie Ross Lemming, the creators of Scarecrow and Mrs. King. And I'll go one further that the music who scored this TV movie was Arthur B. Rubenstein, who also wrote the Scarecrow and Mrs. King theme song. What do you know? In, in case listeners haven't figured this out yet, Eric can professionally do six degrees of separation from Scarecrow and Mrs. <laughs> yeah. King to just about any name you give him. I can, and I can. So... Amanda. No, really. I mean, why? Look, I am trying to, to put the pieces together here. <laughs> so that brings us to our third and final comedy tv movie although this one fits i think into the kitsch of our comedy capers and kitsch uh, and that is my boyfriend's back a movie starring sandy duncan jill eikenberry and judith light oh my goodness an 80s powerhouse they play a female singing group from the 60s that reunites for one last tv special Eric, am I leaving anything out about the plot of this? Not really. The subtitle for this movie was White Ladies Dream Girls. <laughs> it wasn't. Actually, the subtitle is It's My Boyfriend's Back and There's Gonna Be Trouble. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that makes it sound so much darker than it really is. <laughs> I know, there's nothing really dark or mysterious about this. I guess there's a little bit of drama between the three ladies. Do you know the 1980s TV shows that Sandy Duncan, Jill Eikenberry and Judith Light were on? 
oh, I think I can do this. Um, I'm going to say Judith Light was Who's the Boss? I will say Jill Eikenberry was, was she on LA Law at the time? She was on LA Law. And uh, Sandy Duncan, uh, Hogan Family? No, animated Scooby-Doo. No, she was on the <laughs> Hogan Family. She had taken over for Valerie Harper when the show was called Valerie. And then I think to Valerie's family, and then it became the Hogan family, and Sandy Junkin joined <laughs> after that debacle. In fact, this aired on Monday, September 25th, 1989. And much like David Hasselhoff had a power hour prime time, this was Sandy Duncan's turn to shine because the Hogan family had an episode that was right before My Boyfriend's Back aired for two hours. Uh, did you like this movie? Uh, I thought it was like many of the TV movies I've watched a little long. It probably could have just been an hour. Um, it was a little confusing that they used the real song, My Boyfriend's Back, as if these three ladies had sang that. I, it was a hit in 1963 by the Angels. I thought it was yes. the Ronettes. I just couldn't remember who sang it. I, it's funny. You know what the, the group, Sandy Duncan, Jill Eikenberry, Judith Light, do you know what their group name is called? No, it's the Buffons. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Which I think is funny right. that there wasn't a 60s group called the Buffons or if there was that there they let them been. use it, that they let yeah. them use it for this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I did find out, though, fun fact that they're all reuniting now in 2022 to do a prequel to this. And, and it's going to be called My Boyfriend's Front. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll agree with this is a little long, but you know what? That's OK, because it's still fun and frivolous. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mentioned that it was on Monday night. It was actually the second most watched program on the big networks on that Monday night. It uh, was second to Monday night football. So <laughs> uh, two very different audiences there, I would uh, expect. But it did actually, it competed against Murphy Brown, Designing Women, Newhart. And I kind of get it because mm -hmm. there's some sort of allure, I think, to putting three, well, three TV show stars mm -hmm. at the time together and giving them a little bit of like nostalgia to run with, which this is all like 60s nostalgia. Um, it For takes sure. place It takes place in the present of 1989, but it is like 60s girl group, Motown, pop music nostalgia. Yeah, and I, I'm not surprised that it did well because I would say if I had to also describe this or title it, it is very much like the road not taken mom edition, right? Because <laughs> that I, I bet that's the audience they were tapping into. We have Judith Light. She takes a path of not having kids, not getting married, not settling down. She wants to follow her career as a singer. And like you find out what happens to her. Sandy Duncan is your typical mom with a couple kids and doesn't really have a dream of her own. And her husband is kind of not supportive of that. And now she's very excited to kind of get back into singing. And then Jill Eikenberry is a high powered executive and she works in mascara advertising or something. And even her staff, when they find out she was in a girl group, she wants to keep that knowledge away from them. She's ashamed of it because she wants to be seen as this go-getter and she's trying to build a relationship with the guy that she's dating. So it's like, these are the three paths and how did it turn out for these women later in life? Uh, it's the same thing happening to NSYNC right now. I bet. Yes. Yeah. When I saw Justin Timberlake do that dad dance in those khakis. Oh God. I was like, that's Jill Eikenberry. <laughs> That's Jill Eikenberry right there. <laughs> he didn't put the L.A. law down at all. Well, I mean, so three heavy hitters at the time, Sandy Duncan, Jill Eikenberry, Judith Light. I think one of them is really the star of this. I'm going to answer for you because I know oh, which yeah. one you're going to say. 
it is Judith Light. Oh, most definitely. Absolutely. And Judith Light, you know, basically as a former pop star doing lounge star, you know, singing now in a bowling alley with a bunch of bowlers who really could care less. I would say that she provides the most gravitas in this production. She has a moment where it kind of gets a little tender and she has a backstory about um, how her life turned out and she starts singing Don't Cry Out Loud, but a big acting moment for her. Oh, totally. She has a scene here where she starts uttering lines to me that are as iconic as the night the lights went out in Georgia for <laughs> yes. women. Excuse me. What the hell is wrong with you people? Were you raised by wolves? I'm telling you about my life here. Are you getting this? I went to the damn prom with my cousin. You think about it. You think about how the best time of my life ended when I was 17 years old. And how when the Buffons broke up, all my mother had to say was, you see, Vicky, I told you never to aim too high. You'll get disappointed every time. And it's just this boom, boom, boom drama of someone having a meltdown. One of the joys about TV movies is that networks were able to take their stars and give them something to do in the off season. Again, right. not that like, you know, working nine months on a 22 episode or 24 episodes show isn't hard enough, but mm -hmm. like actually giving them some fun levity outside of their sort of constrained TV program roles to have some fun. And I think that's what happens here. Yeah, definitely. And I think with like, We've talked about the the lead-ins, like if this came after the Hogan family, if you're already watching a Sandy Duncan show that you like and, and you love her, you're not going to change the channel. You're going to watch this TV movie because it's a built-in audience. And even if, you know, you don't like Sandy Duncan, you're still not going to go change the channel because we're all lazy couch potatoes. And it was the 80s and remote controls were a luxury. <laughs> right. You change the channel to that NFL game for your husband and the Sandy Duncan selling wheat thins over there. You just can't get away from it. <laughs> and Judith Light was selling Twinkies. <laughs> That's true. She was. <laughs> and Jill was selling Eikenberries. Who is <laughs> <laughs> my favorite of the monster cereals. Mm. <laughs> There's Count Chocula, Booberry, and Eikenberries. <laughs> <laughs> I would say when you find these, make it a watch party. Yeah, it's fun to watch these with someone else. I will also say though, you got insomnia some night or you just want to like go to bed early and they don't challenge, you know, you don't need to pay attention like rigorously. That's the joy of TV movies. I watched The Grass is Greener on YouTube. I think the other two are on Tubi. And I will say that if you watch it on Tubi, it comes with commercials. So you are really getting the TV movie experience. Ah, uh, yes. The way God intended us to watch TV movies. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, we've come to the end of the episode and it's time to turn off the TV. And as your mother would yell at you, go on and get outside. 
Oh no, it's time for your nap, Carol. <laughs> it's way overdue for my nap. <laughs> tell me about it. Well, thanks for listening today. And if you are interested in reading more pop topics, head over to poptrashmuseum.com or find us on socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And of course, like and subscribe our podcast so you don't miss any episodes. This season, we'll be talking about a different TV movie genre and exploring the whole world of TV movies each and every episode. Well, thanks for listening. And may all your affairs be Cartier. <laughs> so it's just like that cubic zirconia ring you bought your mom from Kmart. <laughs> yeah, the one that turned her finger green. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, as green as the grass over your septic. <laughs>